morning. Before we get started, I feel like I need to explain my shirt for any of you that noticed in that announcement video. If you didn't notice, I'm not going to tell you what it said, but if you notice, that's the town where my grandma grew up. <laughs> she bought me that shirt when I was about 15, and it, I just started wearing it. So if you didn't see it, you're good. If you did, get your mind out of the gutter. All right. Hey, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm so excited this morning. I hope you're excited too. If not, get there, okay? Um, but uh, just real quick, um, I, I know that many of you, if not, or most of you got an email from me this week about a, uh, a time at three o'clock today that we're going to have of, of prayer, worship, and just really pressing in for the atmosphere of heaven over Keith Nichols, one of our um, dear brothers who was given a, a stage four cancer diagnosis a couple weeks ago. And um, so we're going to have an opportunity to love on him as a family. Three o'clock today, we're going to start right at three, so get here a few minutes early. Um, and we're just going to uh, let heaven invade earth over his body, period. That's it. So anyways, hope you can be here. This morning, I really just kind of first and foremost, if you, if you don't have the notes and you want them, I'm sure one of our ushers can grab them for you. Just slip your hand up and hold it up until um, somebody hands you a piece of paper. Maybe somebody will hand you a check. You never know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this but I really want to recognize just in a real, in a real truthful and, and somber way just what the Lord's doing right now at River in the Hills. If you're in my home group on Friday, I shared a little bit about this, but it's, this is not, we have to really take seriously the time that we're in right now. This is revival, okay? We, Glenn and I both had the word this week, it's calf deep. Because about a month ago, or if you were here, you remember it was ankle deep was the description. And so separately, we come into this meeting with this word. I think we're calf deep now. That's exciting. Because it's okay to get excited about that. That's, this is intense. This is, this is historical, life-changing, more encounters, more salvations, more healing, more deliverance. This is heaven invading earth, your kingdom come, your will be. That's what, this, that's what we're in right now. This is not Christianese as usual. This is not church as usual. This is not any type of business as usual. It's not prayer as usual. It's not worship as usual. It's different. That's not in your notes. I'm just telling you, this is the new thing that God spoke of through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 43. This is that. This is the oil that we've been asking him to pour out. This is the new wine that we've been praying for and plowing for and fasting for. This is, this is we're in it. That's good. That's great news. Man, whoo. And I don't want to, I don't want to skip over it with you know, just some sort of, oh, this is another day. It's not, man. This is the day the Lord has made. His mercy's new today, just like it was yesterday, will be tomorrow. And we really, really need to take seriously the call to step into that every morning. Praise the Lord. I believe today, along with many other things, obviously, that the Holy Spirit will and wants to do, that the Lord wants to align our hearts and our minds to His uh, that we would humble ourselves and, and be in positions where our hearts and minds can receive what the Lord wants to pour out today. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, if you would. I want to take you through a story here. Um, I love the book of Matthew. It's 
I guess it's kind of redundant to say it's different than the other Gospels. I guess you could say that about all four of them. Okay, but it is. It's different. But I'm going to read you a, a passage of Scripture here, and we're going to work through it. And I believe it's going to be kind of an on-ramp to where the Holy Spirit wants to take us today. I'm going to pray to make it all legal here first. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you invade us right now, Holy Spirit, that every single person in this room is fully attentive to what you're doing and what you're saying, fully engaged, that every distraction that you're, where your mind's at right now, I just tell you, even just speaking horizontally here, if your phone's out and your Bible's not on it, put it away. Just, just put away any distraction because you need to be fully, we all need to be fully engaged with the Lord. Father, would you, would you give us that? Would you give us that sense of, of, that, of urgency in our spirits right now? An excitement. And it's like a holy heaviness. It's like that's the only good kind of heaviness. All other heaviness has got to leave. But the good kind of heaviness from heaven, would you give that to us right now, Father? Because we want you. We are here for you, Jesus. We are here to love you and be loved by you. And I thank you, Lord. We enter his his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Psalm 100. So we're thankful this morning. Matthew chapter 21, verse 10. It says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, let me just, well, we'll just quick preface before we get into that, but uh, this is the story of what, what's known as the triumphal entry, okay? Most of you know the story, but um, they, they approach Jerusalem, and they, they stop on, on uh, the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sends two disciples in, and uh, it says, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there uh, with her colt. You, uh, unite them and bring them to me. Basically, go steal a donkey, if the Lord tells you to do it, but you can't use that excuse nowadays. God told me to steal your car. It just doesn't work. It doesn't hold up in court. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Okay? So it took place to fulfill a prophecy. The disciples did what they said. They found what he said they would find and, uh, and they, brought, they brought them to him. Um, they placed cloaks on them. Jesus sat on them. Uh, and a very large cloud, or crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees, and he spread them on the road. And the crowds went ahead of him, and they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Isn't it interesting, this one's for free, has nothing to do with where we're going today, that on Monday they shout Hosanna, and on Friday they shout crucify him. A lot changed in four and a half days. It's crazy. We'll study that one later. But in verse cha- or chapter 21, verse 10, it says, When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Say the whole city. Say that. The whole city was stirred. That's amazing. I guess that when he walks into the room, everything changes. Where have I heard that? The whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? It's a great question to ask. Who is this? The crowds answered, verse 11, the crowds answered and said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's stop right there for a second. The crowds were correct, right? Jesus is a prophet. And, and he is from Nazareth in Galilee. But I'll tell you what, family, even the Muslims believe that. That's easy. 
But that's, that's, that's where they stopped. Everybody said, who is this, says Jesus the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee? And everybody went, oh, okay. Mm. So in verse, uh, verse 12, Jesus enters the temple. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Stop right there. Jesus comes in. They're shouting, Hosanna. The crowd gathers, and they're like, who, who is this? Right? The ones that didn't know, who is this? And they say, oh, it's Jesus the prophet from Nazareth. Jesus answers the question of who is this by entering the table, and he begins to make a mess in the temple. He overturns tables. He drives out everybody. Now, listen, this may be common. I don't know if this is misunderstood or not. Do you know that the people that were there, had a, they, were, they had a right to be there. They weren't doing anything illegal. If they were doing something illegal, the Pharisees would have driven them out. You know, like by man's law, they were selling like doves and pigeons for sacrifices, for offerings. They were, they were doing, I'm not saying what they were doing was good. I'm saying that Jesus didn't go in there and say, you're all are breaking the law and throw things out. He did it to prove a point and realign the focus that was out of alignment. See, he came into town and the thought or the alignment that people were in in Jerusalem was that Jesus is a prophet from Nazareth. And he came in and he said, no, no, no. Actually, he comes in and he makes a spectacle almost of, of himself and of what's going on. And he turns all the attention to him. And then he says this little phrase. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah. He says, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. Let me stop there for a second. Well, that's where we're going today. But what he does, the crowds are asking, who is this? The crowds answer, it's Jesus the prophet. And Jesus walks into the temple and he goes, this is my house. That's a statement. He walked in and he answered the question of who. So you, so you want to know who I am? Here, let me walk into the temple. This is my house. That's who I am. Whew. <laughs> we understand that this was the beginning of a, a rough week for many people. The Pharisees became very bent out of shape, the priests, teachers of the law. And the end of that verse, I'm sorry, I'll read 13 again. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Mm. So the crowd answer, answered partially correct. Jesus steps into the temple and immediately begins to change their focus to him. Okay? They, had, they knew that the temple was holy, they knew, they knew that Jesus was a prophet. It's like they had all these partial truths, and Jesus says, not good enough. He doesn't understand that. That like 99% right is not right. And that's what he said. He comes in and he goes, he goes, you've made my house a den of robbers. My house will be called the house of prayer. And they're like, wait a minute, your house? Like they could, you could see like the struggle that, that he comes to present, but it's so important that we get this right. I think that's why he made a sign. I mean, made a spectacle. All right, when we hear the term, or the phrase, house of prayer, how many of you have heard that term before? It's okay, you can raise your hand. It's good for, it's good for the shoulders. You've heard the term, house of prayer. I don't know that collectively we all have the same definition. I know that collectively we do not have the same definition of the house of prayer. I know that because I've heard. Um, it's, a safe, it's a safe assumption. I believe that most people or most churches would say they're a house of prayer if prayer takes place in their services on Sunday, right? Like 
we're Christians, we're supposed to pray, so therefore, when we come to church, we pray, we're a house of prayer, that's what, that's what Jesus meant. He was, Jesus' focus when he said that, when he quoted the prophets, remember Isaiah prophesied about this, which we're going to read that, Isaiah 56, verse 6 or 7, 6 and 7, I think. He's, he comes and he prophesies that, but Jesus quotes the prophet, and sometimes we actually look at him quoting the prophet, and we say, well, look, what Jesus was doing was he was driving out all the money changers. That's the point he was trying to make, and he just happened to tag on, my house will be called the house of prayer. No, the point he was making was that my house will be called the house of prayer, and because of that, we got to drive out all this other stuff that's making it not that. You guys understand? Now, the, the focus on the, the, the way that we look at this passage, the way that it's taught sometimes, is that, is that the focus was that Jesus came in to, to drive out evil. But he actually came in primarily to turn the focus on himself and to say, look at me. This is the characteristic of my house. And because that's true, none of, the other, none of this other stuff can exist here. Okay, so that's kind of what happened. So a house of prayer... I think it's primary, I think it's kind of misunderstood, even that phrase. I say, no matter, no matter what we've been taught, a lot of the times we, we view prayer as bringing our laundry list to God. It's like, like the first time I heard, I, I was on a mission trip one time, and they said, I want you to go pray for one hour with a partner. I'm like, why don't I just carry like a thousand bags of cement? I can do that, that's easier. I'm like, why don't I, I'm like, what do you want me to do? Why don't I lift, push this car uphill for an hour? I'll do that. That's easier than praying for an hour. I'm like, I only have like six requests. Do I just say them over and over and over again for an hour? You guys laugh, but I mean, guys, I'm a, this is why prayer's labeled as boring. When you, bring, when you bring your list of wants to the Lord, it's all me, 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 I'm done. And then you're like, oh, you need to pray more. Oh, me, 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 amen. And he's like, well, man, you need to work on your prayer life. Okay, me, me, me. you're like, oh, me, 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 me. You guys, you guys hear me, though. That's why prayer gets boring. Prayer is not a laundry list. Prayer is, remember, we're talking about house prayer. Prayer is primarily an expression of relationship, born out of love, which consists of dialogue, not monologue, and mostly hearing on our part, not talking. Mostly listening. Amen. Now, when we pray like that, when we monologue like that, dialogue, when we dialogue, <laughs> when we dialogue, you, you'll get lost. The time will, go, time will get lost. Ask Pastor Glenn how many times he's been late to things because he got lost in prayer. That's a good reason. That's a good excuse. The I got stuck in traffic doesn't hold up to I got stuck with the Lord. I'm serious, right? But that's where the true, when Isaiah 56 verse 7, can you put that up there? There's a promise that the, the marker in the house of prayer is going to be joy. Exuberance. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. I don't know how many of y'all come. I, I didn't used to. Come to, a come to prayer. We're going to talk more about house prayer in a minute. But come to prayer, whether it's by yourself, whether it's with your, your spouse, a friend, or whether it's in a corporate prayer meeting in the prayer room, and you're just like, yeah, like you're in here by yourself. No one else can love me like God. And you're like looking around. No, most of it's just like, 
man, my gatekeeper says two hours? What am I supposed to do for two hours? I'm like, well, I'm just going to read the word, I guess. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with reading the word if you're a gatekeeper. That's totally legal. I'm just saying, <laughs> it is. It, it is. Kyle's told me it is. <laughs> but, but I'm saying that there's something, there's nothing wrong with the Lord. Okay, I'm not going to say there's something wrong with someone. I'm just saying there's nothing wrong with the Lord when he prescribes prayer to be joyful and we don't experience joy in prayer. Nothing wrong, nothing shortcoming on his part. I love that because when I press in and I'm just, and, I'm, and some, some prayer is hard. When I'm, when I'm, and it's not bad to bring your laundry list to the Lord. Okay, he asks you to bring your laundry list. But if that's all you're ever bringing to him, you need to learn how to do your own laundry. I'm just saying that if he prescribed joy in the house of prayer, then we have a right to step into that. If we haven't stepped into it, let's humble ourselves and ask, what am I doing wrong? It's okay. It's okay to be wrong. I'm wrong a lot. How do you, I've, I've been, I've been, and I, this is not, trust me, this is the first, most of you know my heart. If you're new, get to know my heart. I'm, I'm really really not boasting here, but I say, I've always been wiser than my age, okay? I've, al- I've always been beyond my years. I hated it. All my friends were always older. I always thought I should be driving when I was 10 years old. I always thought that, you know, I always thought I should be allowed to drink when I was 15. I thought all this stuff, ah, good, bad, ugly, indifferent. I always have been, but the thing is, When we're wrong, we learn and we grow. So those that are marked as being a, beyond their years, been wrong a lot. <laughs> you should grow fast. You make a lot of mistakes. It's okay to humble yourself and go, I've been praying this way for 40 years or for four years or for four months, and I've never experienced joy in prayer. Lord, would you show me your way? Show me how to step in to the things that you promised. All right, it's one sentence in my notes. It's been a little too long on that. Sorry. <laughs> I believe the house of prayer is expressed primarily in two ways. First, us. Nate is a house of prayer. Kyle is a house of prayer. Rachel is a house of prayer. Louise is a house of prayer. Why? Because I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in me. I'm his dwelling place. If I'm the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, I'm the dwelling place of Jesus, okay? Come and find your way. Come and find your resting place here with me, Lord, even now. And so I believe that when Jesus says, my house will be called the house of prayer, that one of the primary characteristics that people should see when they look at us is a relationship through dialogue with the Lord, just a a relationship born and rooted in love out of dialogue with the Lord, Like, like, oh, you've been with the Lord. Oh, you speak with the Lord. Oh, you hear from the Lord. Oh, that that should be a key characteristic that people pick up on in our lives because we are to be a house of prayer. The other other expression, I believe, is is the house, right? This place, River in the Hills Church, should be characterized primarily, and it's in our vision. Our, our, Our vision is to move God's heart first and then change the world. Can't change the world without moving his heart, right? They go hand in hand, but the first one is in first place. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so in the, even in the, the, the deepest, most, most fundamental desires of this church is to minister to the Lord first. This house 
needs to be characterized, first and foremost, as being a house of prayer. Not a house of people who can pray. A house of prayer. A house where, where the vision, the, everything, the programs, every, anything that's born out of this is born out of the place of relationship and dialogue with the Lord constantly. I'm always in, and most of it is hearing, okay, or listening. Our primary function is to be a house of prayer. I'm going to ask this question, what if we all, what if we all, do you think that we all come to gatherings, Sunday morning, home group, men's, women's, whatever it is, do you think that we come primarily for Jesus? Ask yourself, that's rhetorical for yourself. Just answer that to yourself. Do you really come to gatherings for him first? And I'm going to get to the, op- I'm going to get to coming for us. There's, I'm going to get to that. What if, that, what if we all started coming to, to this gathering, to home groups for, for Jesus first? What would happen? I'm going to read this excerpt from this book here by Jack Deere called Surprised by the Voice of God. Turn there with me in your copy. No, I'm just kidding. Just listen to this, because he says it better than I can. He says, why do you go to church? Remember the point I made above, which you don't, because I didn't read it. You're never going to grow without an honest assessment of your practice and your motives. That's what I just said. It's okay to be wrong. We have to honestly assess and reassess and reassess and reassess our practice and our motives. So why do you go to church? What drives you to be there Sunday after Sunday? Some people go to church out of a sense of duty. Some go because it's the thing to do on Sunday mornings. Their family's always gone to church. Some go to church because they found it's a good place to do business. Jesus drove those people out of the temple, so be careful if that's why you're here. Um, It helps their image in the community. Some people go to church because they like the feeling that they get when the sun comes through the stained glass window and onto the robed minister who leads them in the same formal liturgies week after week. Yeah, that's probably not any of you. Um, These are the people who often comment how beautiful the service was on a particular Sunday. Some people go because their friends go and the church has become the center of their social life. Some people go to be entertained. Some go to be enlightened. Some go to hear a great speaker Some go to learn the Bible, some go to please their mate, others go to find a mate, still others go to get away from a mate. (laughs) Funny but true. (laughs) Having been a pastor for more than 20 years, I've learned that there are many reasons why people go to church today, as there are people. It was much, listen, listen, it was much more difficult to go to church in the New Testament times. It could cost you your property, your family, even your life. Listen, it's still that way in some places in the world today, but not in America. So why did they go? Why did they take the risk? And they met way more than once a week, P.S. First, they came to hear Jesus and be healed by him, Luke 5, 15 and 6, 18. I used to come to learn the Bible and later to teach the Bible. I even called my church a Bible church. How different from the beginning when people came to meet a person. Second, they came to worship God together. Of course, it's possible to worship God alone and anywhere. But, listen, listen, listen. But, there is a spiritual dynamic that occurs when the people of God come together corporately 
to express their unrestrained affection for God. To put it simply, we enter into the presence of God when we sincerely and exuberantly sing him our thanks and our praise, Psalm 100. God's presence was so manifest during corporate worship that New Testament Christians risked their lives just to be a part of the experience. God's presence was so manifest during corporate worship that New Testament Christians risked their lives just to be part of that experience. I'm sorry, one more time. God's presence was so manifest during corporate worship that New Testament Christians risked their lives just to be part of the experience. I'm not going to read the rest. Third, they came together to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. And fourth, people came to church to be strengthened and built up in Christ. How often do we come for reasons two, three, and four and skip one? To meet a person, to meet with a person, to encounter Jesus. We come for him first. I just, God, I love you too much to just say, like, let's, let's change that. Let's all come for Jesus first. You know, and I, I don't know, this is for you and the Lord, because I don't really, like, what's one of the most secret things is motives. <laughs> I don't know why y'all are here. <laughs> I know why I'm here, and that's, and that's all I know. Man, I'm so excited. Hmm. Sorry. Guys, what happened last Sunday, if you were here, has continued through the week, which is the way it should be. Guys, it's, it's spilled over. It keeps spilling over day to day. It's spilled over again this morning. Guess what? It's going to spill over again tomorrow and then the next week and then the next Sunday. It's going to keep increasing. That's awesome. Don't fear. It's both and, not either or. You, can, you come primarily to meet Jesus. You come primarily for the Lord. But guess what happens when we put him in first place? Meets every need that we have. He does, because he knows our needs better than we know our needs. He wants for us more than we want for us. You guys understand when we come, we're like, well, if I, if I come just to love Jesus, how am I going to let everybody know that I'm hurting this week? Well, the Holy Spirit's going to tell somebody. And then you're really going to get healed because they're going to come up to you and read your mail. And how could they have known that that happened to you? That's, that's how it's going to work. It's not, it's not, oh, Lord, if I come just for you, I'm not going to be able to. No. Like when we come for him, that's when we are fully and, and most completely satisfied. So it's both and. You should, if you wake up in the morning and you're like, I'm angry. I'm angry at my spouse. I don't make enough money. I should quit. Norm, what did you say to me this week? What's complaining? Can you say it? Whining. What's whining is whining. A whining is presenting a problem with no solution, right? Without the solution. That's just whining. My car, uh, I should have a nicer car, all this stuff. Man, then you should come to church. Don't use the uh, as a reason for the devil to be able to isolate you from the, from the house of prayer. Because in the house of prayer, when you come and you drag your little corpse in here, and you're like, uh, and you put him before the Lord, then he hits you with the fire. Boom! Okay? And he burns off all the junk. 
Do you know how many times? Do you know how many times? You're like, Nate, you're a pastor. You can't say this. I don't have so many. Not so many, but there's been times where I just wake up and I'm like, nah, I'm not into it today. I'm not. You know that if it was, if if our attendance as leaders was predicated on us being into it every day, you probably would, nobody would be here because it would be like we showed up too many times and no one was there to do anything. Like that. It's just like your job. When you wake up and you don't feel good, you still have to go to work. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. Um. Yeah, we have more. Um. So don't fear. Don't fear that, that, Lord, if I put you in first place, if I surrender that hold that I want to keep on all my problems, on all my junk, that you're not going to come in and fully just fulfill all these longings and desires that I have. That's actually where the greatest fulfillment comes from, is in yielding to him and letting it and just putting it before him and saying, I love you. And he's like, I love you too. Yeah, Jesus is like that. In the mid-1500s, Glenn and Kyle helped me with my historical research this week. In the mid-1500s, a man named Copernicus, he made a discovery that we refer to as heliocentrism. Okay, big fancy word. Uh, it was a brand new concept at the time. Uh, it went against the long-held view of what's called geocentrism. Okay, so Copernicus discovered that actually, actually the earth revolved around the sun and was not the center of the universe, and what had been believed for so long was the other way around. Earth's the center of the universe, and everything revolves around it. It was accepted by some and harshly rejected by others, um, which is a sermon for humility right there because they were wrong. Um, but, you know, back then, that was new. Okay, so I believe that uh, that, that word came from, from Glenn this week, and I believe that many of us may need to make a similar discovery, right? That Jesus doesn't exist to revolve around us, but rather we exist to revolve around him, okay? That's called Jesus-centrism. I'm going to write a dictionary one day with some new words in it. Jesus-centrism, okay? Now listen, just as it was extremely difficult for some people to receive in the 1500s that the earth wasn't the center of the universe, but rather actually revolved around the sun, probably it could be extremely difficult for some of you to, to fully grasp to fully grasp the, it was for me, so I get it. It's like speaking from experience. To fully grasp, we would never say, I'm the center of the universe, or Jesus revolves around me. But, but do we live like we revolve around Jesus? And one of the, one of the fruits of that is, is, do we come to these gatherings first and foremost for him, to love on him? If not, we may be in a geocentric or me-centric reality, when rather we need to be in a Jesus-centric reality. Does that make sense? Okay. Is everybody happy? Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy. Just get on with it. All right. Uh, oh, gosh. Yeah, okay. Just a couple more minutes. It's going to be a little later. But I, I trust you guys that. <laughs> and I'm running it, so. Um, <laughs> revival is here. Say that. Say revival's here. Revival here. Yes, yeah, say it like you believe it. Revival is here. Revival is here. Mm. King David, he made God's house a house of prayer. Probably one of the greatest examples in scripture of this. We don't have time for the whole story. But David, he hired, you know, not quite, but short of 10,000 
musicians, singers, and gatekeepers to, to do ministry to the Lord. Their job was to only minister to the Lord. Do you guys understand what that means, minister to the Lord? It's a, it's a term that gets thrown around a lot, but it, it means just pretty much what it sounds like. Love on him. It's like 100% this ministry, vertical ministry. It's, it's vertical ministry. I'm going to love you, Jesus. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you forever. That's it. I love you. I love you. I love you. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good. That's ministry to the Lord. Okay, it's, it's much more involved than that, but that's the basis of it. David decided that this needed to happen and never stopped, so he hires all these people, and he pays them all full-time salaries, okay, so that they can always be praying, always be worshiping, always be interceding, and always keep the fire going, okay? The amount that he paid them over the course of over 30 years is equal today to over $10 billion, and David, David supplied. And then he had the people, uh, like, you're going to bring offerings for the Levite. You're going to, this is, he said, this is the soil we need to be sowing into. That's what he said, Okay? So, is it a coincidence, no, is it a coincidence that before each of the major seven Old Testament revivals, which I'll mention, but we don't have time to teach on each of them today, they're in your notes, is it a coincidence that the king or ruler re-implemented uh, Davidic worship and re-established the house of prayer, and then there was a revival? Is it a coincidence, yes or no? Is it a coincidence? Okay. You guys need to, you gotta talk to me. Okay, Asa did it, 2 Chronicles 15, he, this is your, in your notes, I'm not going to, just Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles 29, Josiah in 2 Chronicles 35, Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoiada, 2 Chronicles 23, Zerubbabel and Ezra 3, 10 through 11, and Nehemiah and Ezra and Nehemiah 12. Guys, the precedence that this took was the precursor to a mighty outpouring that shifted entire regions. I'm talking about entire regions. Think bigger than Lake Travis. Think bigger than Austin, okay? Thinking Texas is big, right? Because everything's big in Texas, right? So you can't think any bigger than Texas. That's what Texans would say. You can't think any bigger than So think Texas. There you go, right? That's, these, are the, these are the size, the impact. When the king would show up and he'd tear down all the Asherah poles and he'd, burn, he'd get rid of all the idol worship and stuff and he'd say, get the singers back in. And we'd say, some of them, like Hezekiah, had to retrain because there hadn't been, pre, there was no priests. No one knew even how to do anything. They're like, okay, we'll just train them again and pay them. So that, because they got to eat, pay them a good salary. So he said, get them in there, teach them how to pray, teach them how to minister to the Lord, give them all the tools they need for the temple. This is the minute. And then what happened every single time? Revival. Every single time. That sounds to me like a formula. Like a recipe. How many of you cook with recipes? How many of you think that you don't need a recipe sometimes? <laughs> this is a recipe. <laughs> I'm sorry. Worship team, you can come up. Listen, listen to me. This is not when, and just to, just... Please stay engaged because the most important thing is coming. There's no shame in saying this. This is so exciting to say here at River in the Hills. We're, such an, we're in an amazing spot right now, in an amazing place, in an amazing time, with amazing leaders who love amazing things and our amazing God. I, I cannot stress enough that, 
that we are practicing already and have been practicing already this formula that leads to revival, which is why we see outpourings like we've started to see in this last week, okay? It's amazing. Unity among our body. Say unity. Unity among our body here is going to be crucial in the days coming. Well, it's crucial today. It's going to be crucial as we continue. And the days are here, not coming. They're here. Where, listen to me, frequency of meetings is going to increase. Service times is going to increase. More encounters with the Lord. More salvations, more healings, more deliverances. It's here. And in the middle of all this, our first priority is to stay focused on loving Jesus and ministering to his heart, even through all of it, okay? When, when many of you have experienced past moves of God, that is awesome, so good. Don't ever forget those, those pillars. Don't ever forget the memorial stones. Don't ever forget just those cool memories and testimonies. Don't ever, many of you have maybe pictures or journal entries or your Bibles are marked up when God did something radical, when you got baptized in the Holy Spirit, whatever it was. Don't ever, ever forget that. But don't ever, ever settle for it because it's not what he's doing today. God's a, God's a God of today. We love and honor and celebrate what he's done in the past. But what if we stopped there? Well, then we get out of the listening place. We walk away from the place of hearing him. Then we're not in the house of prayer anymore. And his house will be called the house of prayer. I don't want any of us, especially me, to be guilty of the same sin as the Ephesian church in Revelation 2, 1 through 4. It says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your heart. Listen, this this is is most Christians. I know your deeds, your hard work and perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. I know that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. I have found them and have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and you have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. See, the Ephesian church had this right. You guys understand what I mean by this? All their, they had the right programs. They were doing all the right things. They were helping all the right people, probably serving the poor widow and the orphan. They're probably doing all of that. Well, they were, they were testing. They're like the Bereans, right? They'd hear something. They'd weigh it against the word. But they forsook their first love. They didn't put Jesus in first place. His house was not called a house of prayer among them. Isn't it, doesn't it stand to reason, beloved, that, that if it's not a house of prayer, it's not his house? If he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, if it's not a house of prayer, it's not his house. Father, may I never be guilty. Pray it with me. May I never be guilty of forsaking my first love. Just use, just repent. Just use this time. Gosh, be wrong. It's fine. Repent, 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 repent.
you guys understand this morning that this is a feel-good message. Seriously, this is a feel-good message because the Lord feels great about it. Remember, it's not, it's not primarily about me, 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 me. It's about you, 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 Jesus. I want to give you my whole heart, all of my love, all of my devotion to you first, Lord. You are in first place. I want to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then from that, I can love my neighbor as myself. Let's align, let's align our lives into Jesus' centrism. Let's make our bodies his temple, a true house of prayer. Let's make this house, River in the Hills, stand with me right now. Make this house, River in the Hills, a house of prayer. A house where the chief characteristic is relationship through love and dialogue with Jesus. Prayer. Where worship and thanksgiving is what we're known for. There's so many ways, there's so many practical ways to do this. The community sets are a great way. We just start them this, this last week. They're powerful. Focused prayer and intercession. It's the battering ram. That's such a good picture, Kyle. Over and over and over and over, and boom, the wall comes down. Father, I thank you, God, as we just pray. You can just pray out, just, but it, that, might, it, that might meet you being quiet. Listen to the Holy Spirit for how he wants you to, quote, pray, right? It might, he might say to you, stop talking and listen. He might say that. He might say, speak. He might say, stop talking. And just listen. That's why you have to stay in the hearing place to hear him even on how to pray. Lord, we give you our full heart, full devotion this morning. All eyes are on you. All eyes are on you, Father. We want to align our hearts and our minds, God, where they've been misaligned. Father, may we never say of Jesus, oh, he's a prophet from Nazareth. It's not the full picture, the full expression. Jesus, your Lord, you are God. Jesus, you are God. And your house will be called a house of prayer. And Father, joy will mark your house of prayer. Father, may the chief characteristic over, over Nate Kashtan be a house of prayer. May the chief characteristic over River in the Hills be a house of prayer because that's what you want your house called and referred to. Lord, thank you for out, the outpouring we've experienced, God. The, the radical encounter and just the, Father, just the call to sow in tears, God. Psalm 126. Father, we can reap in joy when we sow in tears, but when the moment we stop sowing in tears, we're going to have a famine. Let us feel it. Let us feel the weight of how much you love us and how much you want us. This is not Christianity as usual. This is not church as usual. Father, no more dead prayers. No more dead, lifeless worship. No more. Only hearts that are fully engaged to you, Father. No more focus primarily on myself. Father, 